you're safe. I want to talk to you about losing yourself. I had great visions of standing up here and doing the Eminem rap song. But I figured out I can't rap. Here's how it sounds. You better lose yourself in the music, the moment. You own it. You better never let it go. You only get one shot. Do not miss your chance to, to blow. This opportunity comes once in a lifetime. You can see why I didn't do it, right? It just doesn't work. So St. Marshall is safe for another day. But we are going to talk about losing ourselves. But before we get to that, can we just celebrate one more time? Jesus has risen from the grave. Love that. <laughs> I hearken back to the words of the angel who sat atop the tomb. I love that picture too. He's sitting on the rock like, what rock? What death? Oh, death, where is your victory? Right? He's just sitting there triumphant, a messenger of God. He's, he greets the women who come to the tomb that day. If you're not familiar with the story, these ladies were coming expecting to mourn on that morning. But instead, they arrived at an empty tomb. Uh, in, in Matthew's gospel, chapter 28, the angel speaks and he says, do not be afraid. Everybody understands that because Jesus is alive, we do not have to be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. You weren't seeing things. He did die. But here it is. He is not here. For he is risen. That's the good stuff right there. And then just so, you know, just so they didn't know he was joking, he's like, come on in, I'll show you. Come on in, check this out. Empty tomb. You know, around our world, uh, there are tombs of religious, uh, you know, of order founders and, 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 and philosophy uh, originators all over the place. You can go to them. Like, I've been to the one in, in Nanjing, China. They have actually a piece, they believe, of Buddha's skull uh, enshrined in this temple in, in Nanjing, China. And it's this holy place for those who follow the Buddha. Now, you can go to Red Square in Moscow. I've been there, too. Not to brag, but I've just been there. And you can go see the, the remains of Lenin, one of the fathers of modern communism. You, you can see where he lays. I've never been here. I've never been to the Green Dome in Medina, Saudi Arabia, where the remains of Muhammad lie. But I have been to Jerusalem. And I've been to the tomb where Jesus was laid, and it's just like the angel said, he's not there because he, of all the religious leaders, of all the leaders of any ism or, or any idea, he is the only one who died and did not stay dead. That's our Savior, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Some of you are here uh, under duress. No lunch for you except you make it here. <laughs> Glad you made it. But you're uh, kind of not a part of us, not a part of the story yet. You, you haven't chosen Jesus as your Savior. And you're wondering, what, what's all the fuss? Why, why, why is he wearing a suit? If you've ever watched, this is not normal. <laughs> this is very not normal. It's simple, though. It's... It's the Sunday of Sundays. Everybody gets that unless Resurrection Sunday occurs, the rest of the Sundays don't matter. There would be no church. There would be no Christian faith. In fact, the things that we remember and celebrate on this weekend, every year, 
are the central tenets, the very foundations of what we as Christians believe. If Jesus doesn't die, then we have no hope and we stay dead in our sin. If Jesus isn't raised to life, we have no hope for resurrected life with him. And he's proven to be a liar because he said that he would raise from the dead. I get asked this question from time to time. Why? Why the crucifixion? Why did God do it this way? First answer, it was his choice to make. Uh, That should be enough. (laughs) But it still runs with logic because in God's system, his justice, his perfection, his just nature requires that there be payment made for offenses uh, that are perpetrated against him. It's been that way since the beginning. Paul kind of summarizes it for us in his writings to Rome when he says, for the wages of sin is death. It's always been that way. What you deserve, what you earn for your sin is death. Death spiritually in a separation from the God who made you. It's what stands between us and him. But death physically came into the world as a result of sin entering the scene The first death on record in our scriptures is in Genesis chapter 3. The first man and woman have just sinned. God has um, spelled out their punishments for them and expelled them from the garden. But before they leave, it says in Genesis chapter 3 verse 21 that he uh, clothed them, uh, wrapped them in the skins of animals. The first death was a sacrifice. Innocent animals, not involved with the sins of human beings, died so that God could take their skins and wrap these who now knew of their nakedness, knew of their shame, so that they could be covered in their sin. This story of death and and, and sin being uh, jammed together in in existence continues in in the book of Exodus where now uh, the descendants of Abraham have been uh, given the title, the children of God. They exist in slavery in Egypt and so God has come to rescue them. He sends his servant Moses uh, to ask the Pharaoh to let them go and the Pharaoh says no. And he kind of gives God one of these. So 10 plagues progress in the story of Israel and their emancipation. The 10th one is a, is a death plague. The firstborn sons of all of Egypt will die. But God tells Moses to instruct the Israelites, hey, if by faith these Israelites will sacrifice one of their lambs, an unblemished, unspotted lamb, and take the blood of that lamb and wipe it on the doorpost, my angel who brings death will see that as a sign of their faith and his uh, death will pass over them. That's what the Israelites call the Passover. It's uh, uh, the same weekend as Jesus' death who came, uh, as it tells us in the book of John as we move forward in the story, uh, to be our lamb. John comes, out of the, or, yeah, John comes out of the woods and starts proclaiming, everybody get ready, the Messiah is coming. Repent and be baptized. And then uh, to his surprise, the Messiah that he was predicting was his own cousin, Jesus of Nazareth, who for 30 years, our Bibles basically don't tell us a whole lot about him, but uh, when he turns uh, around 30 years of age, he comes out of anonymity and approaches his cousin John, who's been baptizing in preparation for his arrival. And John sees him and his eyes open as only God can open them. And he understands, my cousin is the Messiah. And he says these words in the first chapter of John, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. 
All the good Jews listening understood exactly, if they didn't understand perfectly, what John was implying. This guy is going to be our sacrifice, and not just our sacrifice, but the sacrifice that will bring death to death. His sacrifice will be what is the means of forgiveness for the whole world. That's why the crucifixion. Jesus' death on Friday put to death all of death and separation from God once and for all. Why the resurrection? Just real quick, to prove God's power over death, his power to give life. In resurrecting Jesus, God leaves no doubt of his absolute sovereignty over existence. He verifies the message of the Old Testament prophets who had long predicted that uh, a Messiah would come and he, as it tells us in Psalm 16, would see no corruption. He was basically just saying, listen, uh, he's going to die, but his body will not rot because he will not stay dead. In one move, in the resurrection of Jesus, God verifies that message. He, he verifies the claims of Jesus who over and over again in his teachings explain, we're going to read one of them today, explain to his followers, hey man, I'm, I'm going to Jerusalem to die, but in three days I'll rise again. Don't sweat it. It's all part of the plan. He comes to a funeral of his friend, a guy named Lazarus, who, by the way, Lazarus was raised from the dead by Jesus. Great story. Read it. But he's there at the funeral. He's, he's, he's hanging out with Lazarus's grieving sister, and he says to her, hey, it's okay. I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will never die. He calls himself those two things, the resurrection and the life. Certainly he's the giver of life. He was there at creation. John chapter 1 tells us that. He was with God at creation, creating with the Father all that is. But Jesus is not just the initiator of life. He's the resuscitator of life. He brings us spiritual life through our faith in him and what he accomplished on the cross. He brings us new physical life at his second coming. We will be raised from the grave. I stood up here yesterday at a funeral. Those are hard. But for those who know Jesus, there's a hope. We'll see that person again. We'll rejoice in the next life for eternity with those who have found faith in Jesus. He is the resurrection and the life. So with the rest of my time, the next two and a half, two hours and 45 minutes, I'm going to just talk about this a little bit more. Let's start with some questions. Everybody turn to your, uh, your favorite person. This is going to be a test for you. Your favorite person that's on the left or the right. Let's see how that goes. Everybody turning? Oh, there. Talk about that at lunch. Anyway, all right. Uh, and answer this question, true or false? Resurrection, by definition, requires death. True or false? You got a 50-50. Go ahead. Resurrection, by definition, requires a preceding death. What do you got? Who said true? Anybody say true? Yeah. Good, this is gonna go so much better now, okay. <laughs> yeah, it's just kind of logical. If something's gonna be raised from the dead, it has to be dead to start, agreed? And we see this all the time in life, that things die so that there can be new life in their place. In 2015, my wife Eleanor and I uh, 
uh, purchased the home that we now live in. It was built in 1961. Uh, it had been uh, left to, to utter disrepair for a long time before we got it. Ten years, it sat empty. Homeless people lived in our house. Uh, the, the people who were living in it before we got there were, were tenants uh, because they were employees of the guy who owned the place. But the guy who owned the place uh, apparently was just kind of letting them live there either for free or for a much reduced cost because absolutely nothing worked in this house. There was no running water. The well had long been defunct. Uh, there was very little electricity because all of the outlets were so old and decrepit that none of them worked. Um, I don't know how they bathed, uh, but they had gotten really kind of creative. They had knocked wall, holes in the outside walls to access pipes that you know, perhaps at one time worked so they could actually run a hose to a, a washer that sat outside. Has anybody seen this house? You got one that's like right next door to you? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah, we bought that house. Everybody else who would, uh, you know, join the realtor for a walkthrough was probably like you're thinking, nope, not for us, but I'm married to Eleanor. How's it going? <laughs> and my wife has this in, uh, insane ability to be able to see something that isn't and know that it can become. So uh, we set about, we hired a great contractor who hired other contractors, and we literally replaced everything in this house except the roof and the block walls, which had to be most of them repaired because there were holes in them. But all the windows, I mean, we're talking everything, people. HVAC, plumbing, electrical, uh, septic, well, everything. It was like building a new house, except we already had one. Uh, I had one job. Ha, ha, ha. This one. Anybody ever been involved in some teardown? It's the fun part. I'm not going to lie to you. Put some gloves on and swing a 20-pound sledge. There's just nothing better, fellas. Who's with me? Anybody? I wrecked everything in that house. I mean, took pleasure in smashing toilets and sinks and cupboards and, and knocking every wall out of the house, save the, the four that encircle our, our den. I busted it all down, yanked all the wires out, pulled up all the pipes, because I'm qualified for this kind of work. As I was thinking about this weekend, the death and the resurrection of Jesus, it kind of reminded me of that house. For something to become new, the old version must die. This was a, a central teaching of Jesus. Even before he gets to his cross and rises from the grave, he constantly tells his followers, hey man, if you want to follow me, if you want to have life in me and with me, if you want to be resurrected as a spiritual being and reconciled to God the Father, you know what that's going to cost you? Everything that was before me, it's got to die. He put it this way, take up your cross and follow me. Deny yourself, die, and follow me. Jesus uh, wasn't concerned with being a salesman. He didn't try to dress his gospel up. In fact, he tried a lot of times to dissuade people. He's like, hey, man, you seriously want to follow me? Do you understand what you're getting into? But I'm so grateful by the grace of God and through his Spirit's uh, infusing me and, in, and enlightening me and allowing me to understand this truth. I, like so many of you sitting here, have come to that decision. Yeah, I want to die to who I am so I can be alive in Jesus Christ. Every resurrection needs to be preceded 
by a death. So it is. I'm going to talk today about losing yourself, about dying to live. Isn't that a funny thing we do with the word die? We say that like, oh, I'm dying to try this new pizza. I think we mean we're just excited for a taste. But truly, in a spiritual sense, we should all be dying that we might experience the life only Jesus can give. One of the first places in Matthew's gospel where Jesus introduces this plan is in Matthew 16. If you've got a Bible, you can go there with me, or you can just read the screens. Uh, they'll be there on the, on the video. But uh, we're going to watch as uh, Jesus introduces his plan and, and, and listen as his disciples reject his plan. If you're sitting here this morning and you're here under duress and you've rejected the plan so far, you're in good company. The very first followers of Jesus Christ were like, nope, upon the first hearing of the plan that God had for their Savior, Jesus. Not how I'd do it. Doesn't make sense to me, which is usually the excuse I get or the, the reason I get for people saying, I'm, I'm not ready to become a Christian. Doesn't make sense to me. That's you. You're in good company. Every follower starts there. I don't get this. It doesn't make sense to me. People after Jesus introduces the plan in our life, reject his plan. But then scripture goes on to clarify his plan. That's my hope for you this morning. Whether you know him not, you're a not yet Christian, as I like to call you, <laughs> or you've followed him for a long time. The life of following Jesus is marked by death to who we were so that we can be resurrected in life with him. If you're there in Matthew 16, let me just give you a little context. It's a, just a verdant, vibrant chapter. There's lots of great stuff in here. In fact, uh, there's a pivot right where we're going to start today, and it pivots from this story, uh, you know, starting in, in uh, verse 16 or so. Um, Jesus is hanging out with his early followers. They've seen him do some incredible miracles and heard him teach, you know, in, in some incredible ways. And, and so he, he's just saying, hey, man, uh, you know, we're just hanging out. Uh, give me the word on the street. Who's everybody saying that I am? What, what, what is, what's, what's the word out there? And, and so the disciples, we don't know which ones, but they all start con you know, just chiming in with, with the things that they're hearing from people who encounter Jesus. Some of them, uh, Jesus thinks that you're John the Baptist come back from the dead because John had died by this time. Some of them think uh, you're like Elijah and maybe the spirit of Elijah is you know, working through you so that you can do these miraculous things. Some think that you're like Jeremiah, who stood outside uh, the gates of Jerusalem and, and, and spoke on behalf of God. When you speak, you're like Jeremiah. And Jesus turns to them and he says, okay, that's what they're saying. Who do you say that I am? You ever been in that classroom when the teacher poses the question and everybody just does this? You know, it's that whole take one step forward if you'd like to answer. Right? I'm picturing some silence. But as uh, was the case so often in, in this group of 12, there was one dude willing to talk. His name was Peter. And he uh, chimes in. And he says to Jesus, hey, here's who I think you are. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. I don't know if bells went off, you know, uh, sirens of, of uh, you know, uh, approval. But Jesus certainly gives the emoji thumbs up, right? And he says to Peter, he says, you are blessed, Simon, son of Jonah, for you have answered correctly. He goes on to say, that's why we're going to call you the rock. Peter means rock. 
And that's why we're going to build a church on this truth that I am the Christ, that I am the Son of God. Way to go, bro. (laughs) Short-lived. Because in the very next account, Peter goes from the penthouse to the outhouse. From blessed to being called Satan himself. Let's read as Jesus introduces the plan. In verse 21, it says, From that time, after Peter confesses him as the Christ, from that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go. Everybody get that. Wasn't a choice. Wasn't one of the options he was picking. It was the plan. He had to go. Where? To Jerusalem. And he had to suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes. And then he had to be killed. And on the third day, he was to be raised. We can all understand uh, these disciples who had finally figured out that this truly was the Messiah were not expecting this to be the mission of God's Messiah on earth. Their picture of the Messiah was a much different one. The Messiah will come and he will um, reinstill Israel as a sovereign nation. He will, you know, defeat all of the enemies of God's children. Uh, He'll set up his kingdom here on earth. And the disciples, right up until the last week of Christ's life, were arguing about where they'd sit in the throne room with the newly crowned king. This was their picture. World domination. Not dying. So when Jesus starts with the plan, they're like, nope, nope, nope. Jerusalem? Hey, Jesus, let's not go down there. That's where the opposition is. That's an away game. Those uh, scribes and elders and chief priests, they make up this governing body in Jerusalem. They've got lots of power. They're called the Sanhedrin. And if they get their hands on you, all bets are off. We're not going to Jerusalem. And then he said, I need to suffer. Put your hand in the air if you like suffering. Anybody like suffering in here? Some of you, sorry. Okay, we can work on that. We've got a counseling center. Anyway, uh, no, most of the humans when asked, hey, if you have the choice between suffering and not suffering, we're going to go not suffering. Like, in about two hours, I'm going to stop suffering because I'm going to take this off. And I'm going to go to my house, and I'm going to fill my face with roast beef. It's Easter, baby. we got the roast beef coming. And then I'm going to pass out for the next five hours in complete comfort with everybody instructed to stay away. I do not like suffering. And most of my life is built around finding the least amount of suffering. Jesus says, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, away game and I'm going to suffer. And the disciples are like, what? And then he caps it off, cherry on top, and I'm going to die. What? You're going to die? They were so stuck on this one, I think they completely missed the last part, which is, but I'll rise again in three days. Maybe they didn't hear it. Certainly they would have a hard time believing it. Not a normal thing for people to come back from the dead after three days. Everybody agree? But whatever the case was, they were stuck on all three of those things. Jerusalem, suffering, dying. So stuck that Peter, like so many people who have heard about Jesus over and over again, rejects the plan. People reject the plan. It's still happening today. Maybe it's still happening with you today. Like initially, you're just like, I can't get there. It's not how I do it. I don't understand this whole dying to have life thing. It doesn't make any sense to me. I get it. You're just like everybody else before they follow Jesus. Some of you are sitting here and you made a decision to follow Jesus and you've forgotten the plan. 
because you've uh, resurrected your old life instead of staying in the new one. And you're just still living for what you used to be instead of living for the one who saved you. It's an easy thing to fall into, an easy thing to stay away from. The plan is not one of our choosing. Peter, in verse 22, takes Jesus aside, takes God by the arm, says, come on over here, Jesus. Let's have a conversation. He rebukes him, stares into the face of the Son of God and says, you're wrong. He says, far be it from you. It's a cool Greek idiom. It's basically, mercy, mercy, mercy me. He's in, in his statement, he's like, are you crazy? Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. It's a promise. If I'm still living, you will not die. Jesus looks at Peter. He just had to be like just shaking his head. Oh, here we go. Because Peter, just like the rest of us, thinks he's right. Do you think you're right? Just in general. You think your way is a good way? Yeah, that's why you chose it, right? Like how I would do it is how it should be done. Everybody's got their little thing that my way's the best way. Mine's the dishwasher. People in my house do not understand how to load a dishwasher. We've shared one for years now. Still can't get it. I'm convinced that some of them just kind of open the lid and just chuck them in. Just let's see where these land. And so I come to these engineered racks. Everybody gets it like someone put some thought into how to make the dishwasher work, right? The bowls go over here because these racks are built for those. The plates obviously go here in the back. It's where the big stuff is supposed to hang out. The cups are up top. What is up with you animals who put cups on the bottom? You have got to be kidding me. There has to be like a YouTube video on this. Watch it. There's a right way to load the dishwasher, and my family does not understand it. And so every time I come to that thing, what do I do? Look at this mess. And I spend the five minutes it takes for me to have all the dishes where they're supposed to go, and I slam the lid, and I'm like, oh. Until the next time when I come to it. And have to do it all over. We laugh, but that's us. It's how this whole mess got started. He was in the garden. And she's like, yeah, I know we're not supposed to eat from that one tree, but that's not how I'd do it. Why would we prohibit ourselves from anything? The snake's got a good point. So I'm going to go. And because she went, we're prone to go. And think, you know what? This might be the plan according to the God who made everything, but it's not my plan. And so, is everybody glad that Jesus didn't let us listen to Peter and be like, you know what? You're right. I'm not going to go to Jerusalem. I'm not going to suffer and die. I'm not going to raise again on the third day. Does everybody understand that if he chose that, we wouldn't be sitting here? All hail Jesus committed to his path, no matter the cost to him. He shows his commitment and how he reacts to Peter. He turns to him and he says this. He says, get behind me, Satan. The Greek word there, get behind me, is back off. 
It's literally what it means in Greek. Isn't that great? I love our Bibles. Back off. And he calls him Satan. Why does he call him Satan? Probably because it was reminding him of another experience that he actually had with Satan. Earlier in his ministry years, he's been fasting for 40 days. He's in the wilderness, and Satan comes to him, tempts him three times. And one of the temptations that Satan tempts Jesus with is this. Hey, if you'll just bow your knee to me, I'll give you the whole world. I'm the prince of this world. I'll give it to you. And what he was in essence doing is saying, not just worship me, but skip out on the cross. You can have the kingdom without the cross, Jesus. All you got to do is worship me. And Jesus gave the, the same kind of answer to Satan then that he gives to Peter now. Get behind me. Back off. Penthouse to outhouse. Blessed to Satan. All of us, prone, prone to be a hindrance to Jesus, a scandal or a scandal on, prone to not setting our minds on the things of God like the verse, 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 uh, verse finishes, but setting our mind instead on the things to man. We think we know best. So once he's corrected Peter, Jesus goes on to clarify his plan. And as we finish this morning, that's what I want to do with us as well. Verse 24 says that Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Let me put that in three easy words to remember. Deny, die, follow. That's Christianity. Deny yourself and your way of doing things, thinking that you're right. Die to yourself in your own abilities to save yourself, in your own, you know, thinkings about how, uh, you know, this should work, and then follow him. That's the Christian gospel. A lot of times when we think about this verse, we think about taking up our cross. as like, this is my cross to bear. And certainly that was a part of any crucifixion. It would start, just like with Jesus' crucifixion, it would start with those being crucified having to carry the cross beam of the cross. It was called the patibulum. And they'd have to you know, carry that thing, sometimes 100 to 150 pounds of wood on their back to wherever they were being crucified. As a, as a part of the process, it was to shame them. People would line the streets and jeer at those who were being punished and led to their deaths. So we, we look at that and we think, oh, yeah, what, what, what Jesus is saying here is his life's going to be hard. And it is. Testify? Anybody with me? Yeah, life gets hard. And so in those hard times or with those hard relationships or in those difficult things, I need to take up my cross. I need to, it's my cross to bear. This is my tough stuff in life. And, and, and we can kind of stop there and miss out on what Jesus was obviously saying to his audience who perfectly understand what he was saying when he invokes the cross in his uh, description of life with him. They didn't think, oh, this is just going to be tough. They understood if you're carrying the patibulum, you're going to die. Death is imminent. And so it's not this, oh, life is hard. Life is over if you want to follow Jesus Christ. The life that you've lived without him must cease. Death precedes resurrection every time. He gets real clear about it in Luke 14. He says, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Just won't happen. He uses a paradox 
in the next verse in his telling of this in Matthew, verse 25 of chapter 16, he says, for whoever would save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Yeah. Finding, I used to sing this song in youth group when I was growing up, finding leads to losing. Losing lets you find. Living leads to dying. And life leaves death behind. Yeah, I'm saying that and some of you are like, huh? I know. It's kind of hard to understand, but it's the plan given to us by God, enacted by God's Son on our behalf. If you want to have life with Jesus, listen, it's not about being religious. It's not about sitting in this room on Christmas and Easter. It's not about, you know, tuning in every once in a while on Facebook with us. Glad to have you. It's not about any of those things. Life with Christ starts with death to self and choosing him over me in my ways. <laughs> There's this guy uh, in the early 1900s. He was a trapeze. I did that first service. Tightrope walker named <laughs> uh, uh, Blondin. And Blondin was famous for walking across the falls of, of Niagara. Uh, they had no, like, you know, uh, government rules against that. And so he just basically set up camp. He did it, like, over and over and over again and, and found new ways to walk across this tightrope uh, uh, over the falls at Niagara, one time he actually strapped a stove to this. This is on the Smithsonian website, if you're not believing me. He strapped a stove to his back and all the groceries, and he walked out to the middle of the rope, sat the stove down, cooked himself some breakfast on a tightrope, and then dropped the breakfast down to the Maiden of the Mist boat so that those on board could eat it. Come on, people. Give it up for Blondin, right? I mean, that guy's a mate. No, you don't have to, really. Okay. But he's performing in front of, uh, you know, uh, President Fillmore at the time. And... Uh, and he turns to his, his assistant, his manager, a guy by the name of Harry Colcord. And he says, you know what, we got up the ante. And so he says to him, Harry, I need you to get on my back and I'm going to carry you across Niagara Falls. <laughs> if you're Harry, you going? Who's going? Anybody going? Grown man on a grown man on a little rope over a big fall? I'm not going. But Harry had watched this guy do it so many times. He had faith in his ability this is actually recorded on the Smithsonian website. Charles Blondin is credited with saying this to Harry. Look up, Harry. You are no longer Colcord. You are Blondin. Until I clear this place, be a part of me, mind, body, and soul. If I sway, you sway. Sway with me. Do not attempt to do anything, any balancing yourself. What a great, what a, oh, I love that. What a great picture of what Jesus is saying here. you got to, Deny and die and follow. Paul picks it up later in his writing to the Galatians when he says, hey, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live, in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. When he sways, I sway. It's no longer Mark Saunders. It's no longer whatever your name is. If you're following Jesus Christ, it is Christ. Here's, here's maybe a good way to picture it, and then we'll sing a song. Everybody will go outside and find some Easter eggs. We'll fill ourselves with ham. It'll be a great day. When I was uh, growing up, we weren't allowed to have Easter baskets. The Easter bunny was the devil. I grew up in an angry Baptist church. But every once in a while, my uh, mom, despite missing out on those things, would 
you know, get me some toys. Um, toys these days are almost always on a screen. Toys when I was growing up were Legos. Yeah, Legos were the best. And they didn't have all these, like, you know, intricate, you know, kits. Like, you can build the Death Star now out of Legos. You know, back in the day, there were just, like, three different kinds of blocks. And you would take whatever those blocks were, and you would just build whatever you could. And I, I wasn't a very sophisticated artist, so I would just build what I knew. I'd build uh, people. There's the feet. There's the legs. We're running out of time. There's, it's kind of a Ronald McDonald looking person, got the uh, red and yellow stripes there. Those are his cool arms, or her cool arms, whichever you would prefer. And I even drew a little happy face on him, can you see that? <laughs> yeah, that's the kind of stuff I do. Anybody seen the Lego movie? Yeah, the Lego movie, uh, Will Ferrell's character basically builds a whole basement of Lego stuff and his kid's not allowed to touch it. And it's the same kind of rules apply to anybody who built something. You couldn't go and wreck somebody else's Lego without their, you know, their permission. But uh, just so you know, there's a limited amount of Legos. If you wanted to build something else, whatever you had built before had to be torn down. And so if you haven't picked up what I'm putting down, if you want life with Jesus, you've got to die. You've got to allow him to take you apart so that there's nothing left of you in life except him. And in place of all your ideas and your hopes and dreams and conditions on life, you're just left with him. That's what this weekend's about. You and I dying to who we are without Jesus so that we can be resurrected to life with him. I pray if you're here this morning, you haven't made that choice yet, you, you wouldn't leave here until you do. I pray if you are here this morning and you have made that choice, but you're living like Jesus doesn't matter, that you crawl back up on that cross to him, with him and that you die to yourself so that you can have the life that only he can give. We are here to celebrate a savior who turns graves into gardens, bones into armies. He takes things that are dead and he makes them alive. It's our privilege to have life with him. Stand and sing with us.